Uh, we are in Acts chapter 1 today in our Bible study time. If you have your Bible, go ahead and, and open there. Our ushers have Bibles that you can use. If you don't have one, they're going to kind of go down the aisles. Just wave at them if you want one. And I want to encourage you early in today's service, go ahead and tear those sermon notes out of the back of your bulletin so you can follow along because we have deemed 2015 at Journey Church International the year of Jesus Church. And all year long, we are planning to study through the book of Acts. We started last week, half of Acts chapter 1. We'll finish this week with the second half of Acts chapter 1. But we want to read and study the book of Acts this year as a church so we can figure out better what we're called to do and how we can have impact in our community and in our generation. And here's the spiritual focus that we're looking forward to this year. We're trying to figure out how to have a clear view of Jesus because we believe that if you have a clear view of Jesus, that always gives you a clear view of your plan within the place of, of Jesus, your place within the plan of Jesus. You say, what, what does that mean? That means when you really know who Jesus is, you really understand what Jesus wants you to do. And the message that we saw last week as Jesus' church finally gets started in Acts chapter 1, we see that Jesus' message to his church is get to work. Get to work. Use what God has given you for the good of others. And as we entered Acts chapter 1 verses 1 through 14 last week, that was the message. Jesus wanted the people in his church to get to work and to use what God had given them for the good of others. Now, if you weren't here last Sunday and you are a part of our church, you have to go back and listen to last week's message online because you miss Vision Sunday and all that we believe God is calling us to do. I spent 35 minutes last week casting the vision for what we believe God has called us to do. I'm going to take about three minutes revisiting that. But to make a very long story short, for those of you who were here last week, we believe that it's time for our church to build. And we, for the last year, have been developing a master site plan, working with the city of Lee Summit, getting that master site plan approved to, to know what we can build on the land that we bought about two years ago. Uh, we have narrowed down the first phase of that building, and we've actually got schematic design now that we've put out to get estimated bids on so we can know exactly how much the project is and exactly how big the rooms are going to be and exactly how much the auditorium will hold and how many people it will seat. Uh, and we are really drilling down on getting ready to start a church. We met two weeks ago with the City of Lee Summit and began to present to them exterior elevations of our church so the Planning Commission could design the way our church would face and what it would look like. And we are barreling full steam ahead towards building a building for our church because we believe as we get to know Jesus and we figure out what our place is within the plan of Jesus, we think that's our next step as a church. One, so we can do ministry better for the people who go to our church. And two, so that we can create good space for people who are not yet a part of our church to come and be a part of what we're doing. But we're studying the book of Acts so we can figure out how to do it the way Jesus would do it. So if you have your Bible in Acts chapter 1, starting in verse 15, last week Jesus and his angels told the disciples to get to work. We find out today their first order of business in Acts chapter 1, starting in verse 15. And it says this, In those days, Peter, that's the apostle Peter, stood up among the believers, a group numbering about 120, and he said, Brothers and sisters, the scripture had to be fulfilled in which the Holy Spirit spoke long ago through David, Concerning Judas, who served as a guide for those who arrested Jesus, he was one of our number and he shared in our ministry. With the payment he received for his wickedness, Judas bought a field. There he fell headlong, his body burst open, and all his intestines spilled out. And everyone in Jerusalem heard about this, so they called that field in their language, Akeldama, that means the field of blood. For, Peter said, 
It's written in the book of Psalms, may his place be deserted and let there be no one to dwell in it. And may another take his place of leadership. Verse 21, here's the first order of work of this new church. Therefore, it's necessary to choose one of the men who have been with us the whole time the Lord Jesus was living among us. Beginning from John's baptism to the time when Jesus was taken up from us, for one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. So they nominated two men, Joseph called Barsabbas, also known as Justice, and Matthias. Then they prayed, Lord, you know everyone's heart. Show us which of these two you have chosen to take over this apostolic ministry, which Judas left to go where he belongs. And they cast lots, and the lot fell to Matthias, so he was added to the 11 apostles. Now, you, you may not have seen it yet in what I just read, but there is some incredible spiritual truth in this text that I just read to you. And there's some incredible spiritual motivation for me, and I pray for you in what we just studied today in your next steps as a Christian and in the next steps of what God has called us to do, because I don't know if you recognize it. It may not have jumped off the page at you, but this entire text we read about today screamed at us that there are no unimportant people in Jesus' church. There's not a single person sitting in this room today who is unimportant in the plan of God. And there wasn't a single person sitting in this group of 120 in Acts chapter 1 that wasn't important in what Jesus had called his church to do. And I want to show you some things about what we just read that I, that I hope will clarify, clarify this fact for you. Number one, we understand as we look at scripture that from the very first day of Jesus' church in Acts 1 till today... The power of God's church has always been in the entire body. The power of God's church is not in the preacher. The power of God's church is not in the leadership team. The power of God's church is not in the chosen few who make decisions and lead ministry. The power of God's church from the first day in Acts 1 to today is in all of the people pushing together to do what God has created them to do. And in Acts chapter 1 verse 21 and 22 we see a little bit of a crowd that has gathered that Peter says is very important. Peter said, therefore, it's necessary to choose one of the men who have been with us the whole time the Lord Jesus was living among us, beginning from John's baptism to the time when Jesus was taken up from us. One of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. Now, gathered on this day in Acts chapter 1 were 11 of Jesus' disciples. We know all their names. Gathered on this day were Jesus' mother and his brothers and his sisters. We know Jesus and his brothers' names. We don't know his sisters' names. But then there are some other people that because we don't know them, they're not, they're not important to us. We really don't. We just kind of read right by them. Because we don't know their name, they're not very important to us, but they are really important to Jesus. And Peter, in his first order of business for the church, says, God has called us to do this, however... For us to do this, we need you. We need all of you to help us do this. It's what the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Speaking of a church body, like a physical body, here's what Paul said. Paul said, just as a body, though one has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, we were all given the one spirit to drink. Even so... The body isn't made up of one part, but many. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. Each one of you is critically important to what Jesus wants to do in the world. Even if you don't 
realize it. Have you ever had a body part that you didn't realize was important until it was, until it was broken or it was hurt? Have you ever had a body part you didn't even know existed in your body until something went wrong with it and then, and then it became very important to you? One of the most painful injuries I've ever had occurred with a part of the body that I had never heard of before I hurt this thing in my body. I, I didn't value it. I didn't even know it existed until something went wrong with it. And, you know, in, in my years of playing sports, I've, I've broken a lot of bones. I've broken my ankle and torn cartilage in my knees and broken my hands and broken my arms and had some concussions. And I, I've had some things go wrong with parts of my body that I recognize. But the most painful injury that I ever endured was when I had an infected bursa sac underneath my shoulder blade. He said, now what, some of you have never even heard of a bursa sac. Thank God you've not heard of it. That means yours are all okay. A bursa sac is, is a little sack of fluid in your body that can be anywhere from the size of a teardrop to about a silver dollar that's filled with fluid that kind of looks like uh, the, the white part of an egg. And it keeps your bones or your bones and your cartilage or bones and tissues from rubbing together. It's kind of like a pillow between two things that aren't supposed to touch. And when they get infected or when they get injured and kind of drain like mine did, literally my shoulder blade and my ribs that were supposed to not ever touch, every time I moved or breathed would scrape against one another. And it was the most painful experience that I ever had in going through that. And I'll never forget going to the doctor thinking I had a broken rib, thinking I had broken my shoulder blade. And he just said, no, you've, you've just, you've busted your bursa sac and it's going to take a little while to refill with fluid. Up until that point, that thing had no value to me in life. At that point, it was like whatever they could do to fill it back up. Like that was the most urgent thing that I needed on that day. And there are a lot of things in the church. There are a lot of things that go on in our church that no one is aware of until they weren't done, and then we'd be aware of them. There's probably less than 20 people here today who know who, that, that knows who sat up the chairs and even cares about it. But if there were no chairs when you walked in today, and we said, hey, the rack's in the back, go grab one and sit it down, that would have shown you how much value that person had. Most of us don't know who's working in the nursery today or who plugged in the machine that prints out tags for the kids who go in the nursery But there's some new families here today or some families who have their children in the nursery for the first time and you're very glad there's a system that allows that nursery to communicate with you in case your little one needs you today. Something that doesn't hold much value until it goes wrong. And I said last week that last year at our church we had 350 different people, adults, volunteer in our church. And I was sitting around with our staff and I said, man, who are all these people? And there wasn't one person on our staff team that knew who all of our volunteers were, 350 people. And none of you know who all of they are, all of them are, but they're all extremely valuable because the church and the power of God's church has always been in the body that works together. We look at this body that worked together, and here probably is the most challenging point of this text for me as we look at point number two in our outline. Within this body in Acts chapter 1, there were potentially more than 100 unnamed disciples whose role in Jesus' church was huge. 100 people that we never heard of, we actually learned two of their names, Matthias and Justice. Other than that, there's between 98 and 105 others that we never hear their names but the church couldn't go on without them. Look, look at Acts 1.15, just so you can understand how I put these numbers together. It says, In those days Peter stood up among the believers, a group numbering 
about 120. Now we know the 11 disciples that were there. We know Jesus' mother and his brothers and his family. That leaves about 100, 105 people that we hadn't heard of before, that we don't hear of after. But the apostle Peter went to them and said, for us to do what Jesus has called us to, we need everyone's help. And what's really interesting to me is when you study just the history of the disciple. Let me, let me give some quick facts on the disciples to help you understand what was happening here and these people in this body that were so important. Jesus individually called many of his disciples, but not all of them, while others joined in his public ministry as he began to have significant impact. Jesus would go into cities, he'd heal people, he'd teach, he'd do miracles. Many of them he called, he'd walk them by the sea and he said, hey, you come follow me. Others just said, hey, I'm, I'm going to follow you. Uh, many people followed Jesus for a time only to turn back when following Jesus took too much commitment, according to Matthew chapter 8. And it's funny because from the New Testament till the future, this will happen. People will follow Jesus to the level that it's very comfortable for them. But when following Jesus becomes inconvenient, they don't follow Jesus anymore. That happened in the New Testament. As we look at the third bullet point, we see after spending an entire night in prayer, Jesus chose from his larger group of disciples, 12 men who would be the official representatives of him and his ministry. Luke 6, 12 through 13 tells us that. Now, this group of 12 became pretty special in Scripture. They're listed four times in the New Testament. Matthew 10, Mark 3, Luke 6. In Acts 1, minus Judas Iscariot, we see the other 11 listed. But here is what begins to challenge me spiritually. Seventy disciples who were following Jesus and working for Jesus were sent out to do ministry on his behalf after he had appointed 12, which means this. When they weren't chosen, they didn't quit. Jesus went up on a mountain one night. He had, the, he had hundreds, at, at least a hundred, but probably hundreds of young men and women who were following him, who believed in him, who wanted to be used by him. And he went up on a mountain and he prayed and he came down and he said, all right, I've got to choose some of you to officially represent me now for the rest of my time on earth. So Peter and Andrew, uh, James, John, the other James, Simon, Judas, the other Judas, uh, Philip, Bartholomew, he started naming Thomas, and he, he chose 12, and he said, all right, um, you guys, you guys are going to be my official representative. I'm now going to pour everything I have into you. I'm going to teach you to do ministry on my behalf. And you would think if we would have been in that crew... And we wouldn't have been chosen that we would have said, well, you know, all right. I guess I didn't make it and we would have gone home. But at least 70 of these didn't. And in Acts chapter 1, we still see 100 following who didn't make the top 12, but, but they didn't quit. Let me ask you a question. You ever try out for a team and not make it? That doesn't feel good. You ever, you ever try out for a part in a play, a lead in the play? and not make it, you get one of the side parts, or you try out for first chair as a part of the band, or a soloist in the choir, and they just put you in the choir instead? Have you ever run for student council, junior high, high school, or college, and you didn't get voted in? You ever get passed over for a position in your job or your career that you really wanted, that you thought you deserved, that you were well qualified for? Have you ever really served well, and not felt like you were recognized in your family? among your extended family, your job, in your church. You know, these unnamed disciples, 
These 100, we would call them because it's our nature. These 100 nobodies. Without an official role, without an official title, having been passed over as the top 12 pick of Jesus, these unnamed disciples continued to follow Jesus, to work for Jesus, and to have impact for Jesus. And I wish all of us could be that humble in our pursuit of Jesus that we didn't care who knew our name, what position we were picked in, what role or title that we were given, but we just wanted to serve Jesus. You know, as I look back at my life, if, if I would have followed Jesus at all, I certainly would have been in the 100 unnamed disciples, not the 12 whose names were listed. Because my life as a teenager and when I was in college and even in my early 20s, I promise you I was not a high draft pick of Jesus. But he let me follow. And he let me be a part of what he wanted me to do. And there are many of us in here today that we may not feel like the best of the best, but Jesus says, I want you to follow and I can use you to have significant impact. Now, how do you know if you've got a little insecurity in being recognized or a little insecurity of self-importance? How do you know if you're easily offended when, when you don't get picked first in things? Have you ever been sitting at a four-way stop and you kind of get there at the same time as another car and they're looking at you and you're looking at them and you kind of say, you know, go ahead and they go ahead and then they don't wave hi to you and th- say thanks and it makes you so mad like you just want to hit them like you just want to floor it and like hit them because they didn't recognize your kindness. Have, have you ever held the door for someone walking into a restaurant or a store? You see someone walking out, he's got a bunch of bags in their hands, and you kind of open the door, and they don't even look at you, they're talking on their phone. And you just want to stick out your foot and trip, trip them for, you know, it's like, I'm doing something nice for you, and you didn't even say thank you. Like, if you ever find yourself doing that, maybe you've, maybe you've got a recognition, an insecurity problem that no one recognizes the effort that you're putting in. But these 100 unnamed disciples, they weren't concerned with titles, roles. They weren't concerned with whether they got to come to the first meeting or last meeting. These guys were just hanging out to serve Jesus. And when they were called upon, they did their job. And man, whether you're a coach or a teacher or you own a business or run an organization, this is a great message for you to give your people. Did you say, man, do your job? Just do your job. Don't worry about the recognition. Because these 100 unnamed disciples, when Peter was given a job to do, he turned to them and he said, I need your help. Yes, the 11 are here. Yes, Jesus' mom is here. But we need your help. We need to to tap into the body to help pull out what Jesus has called us to do. But one of maybe Peter's best lines in Acts chapter 1 gives us the truth of point number 3. Here's what you need to understand if you feel like one of the unnamed disciples today. God knows your name. God knows your heart. And your important role in this season of your church is known to God and needed by God. Look at verses 21 and 22. Here again is the first order of Jesus' church. We've read it three times now today. Peter stood up and he said, Therefore it's necessary to choose one of the men who have been with us the whole time the Lord Jesus was living among us beginning from John's baptism to the time when Jesus was taken up. For one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. So look at verse 24. Look how I prayed. Then they prayed, Lord, you know everyone's heart. Listen to me, folks. You don't know my heart and I don't know yours. That's not the way we're designed spiritually unless we are intimately connected in in relationship. But God knows your heart. God today knows your name. 
He knows your heart. And he knows your value to his church in this season that it's at right now. Whether you're a part of our church or whether you're just visiting in town. And you're going to go back to your church. You have an important role to play in your church. And look at verse 22. In verse 22, we see that Peter and the disciples had finally got a clear understanding of their spiritual role. Peter said, we need to choose someone who was with us beginning from John's baptism to the time when Jesus was taken up. For one of these must become a witness. Underline those words, become a witness. Why did Peter say that? Because this was his job description. Flip back to Acts 1.8. Jesus said, but you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you'll be my witnesses. Jesus said, your job is to be a witness of who I am. So Peter looked at the body and he said, we need you to help us be a witness. We need you to help us do what Jesus has called us to do. And as we look at our church and we try to learn from the book of Acts how to take a spiritual family and take a next step together, we believe that it's time for our church to build. And we told you last week that as we looked at this, we've designed a $4 million project to build a building and do all the site work and do everything we need to do to get moved into a building. And in order to reach this goal, we need to, as a church, raise a million dollars above our regular giving. So above what you regularly give, we need everyone whose heart God touches to lean in and help us a little bit. I've had people say, Christian, why can't we just take the regular offering and do that? Because we don't just want a building. We do ministry with a regular offering. We want to keep doing ministry. Church is more than a building. It's ministry. So it's above the regular gift. But we said last week as we prayed towards this, we thought this was a goal that maybe we couldn't accomplish together. So we said, Lord, show us how to do that. And we very slowly, starting in October, we started meeting with our leaders. We started meeting with our volunteers. We started looking for, we started really looking for a red light, to be honest with you. God, if you want to stop this project or slow it down, slow it down. But I said, Lord, I'm not going to go before our church if I don't think we can get there. And as of last Saturday night, we'd already had $812,000 pledged towards this project. Like we're almost done. Like we're almost there. We're on the final lap. And we've got this final push of $188,000 left. But this final push, by and large, is going to be made up from people in the body who are questioning whether they can really make a difference. And I want to speak specifically to a group of people today. And let me set it up by saying this. I said this last week. I'll say it every week. If you don't feel like you're in a season of your life or you're at a place in our church or you're at a place to trust with just organized religion... To give to this, don't give. We'll be fine. Don't do something that would offend your spirit to give. The very first thing that God ever built was the tabernacle that he built with Moses. And he told Moses, tell everyone who's willing to bring an offering. Which told me if there were people who were unwilling at the time, it it was okay. And if you're at a place where you can't do anything, that's okay. So my goal today is not to convince anyone who doesn't want to give, to give. Because God's going to take care of us. You keep coming to our church. You let this season go by and don't feel an ounce of guilt over it. My goal today is to talk to the people who last week got really motivated to give. But thought, I'd like to give, but I'm not going to be able to give a lot. So it's probably not going to be important. Like like I'm going to try to give, but I'm not going to be able to give very much. So, you know, my gift probably doesn't matter. Every person in the body matters spiritually. And it's important as we walk through this season in our church, it's important for me as a pastor that you understand how Jesus views our giving. Because what the devil wants to do is the devil wants to jump on your back. For those of you who say, man, I want to help, but like, I, I don't have that much money. I want to help, but I can't, I can't do that much. I want to help, 
but I, you know, I can't help in a significant way, so I'm probably, you know, I, I shouldn't do anything. I want to help you understand how Jesus views giving. And I want to tell you a story of something that happened last week that, that probably touched my heart more than anything that has ever happened at our church. In Mark chapter 12, if you have your Bible, turn back to Mark chapter 12. Because, I mean, every Christian should see this and have this underlined in their Bible. Because in Mark chapter 12, we learn how Jesus views our giving. And it's pretty cool what we learn from Mark chapter 12, actually. In Mark chapter 12, starting in verse 41, and going through verse 44, we see in Acts chapter 1, there's no important pe- unimportant people in God's church, but we see in Mark chapter 12, there's no unimportant sacrifice or giving in Jesus' church. It says in verse 41, Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put, and he watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came, and put in two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They gave out of their wealth, but she out of her poverty put in everything, all that she had to live on. Now here's some interesting thoughts we learn about Jesus in giving. One, I think it's important to see that Jesus was watching as people gave their offerings. Jesus is aware of how people give, but often people give without a real awareness of Jesus. Please don't give to a brick or paint or carpet or chairs in this building. Don't don't disconnect your giving from Jesus. Understand that giving is a spiritual thing. We have tried very intentionally to make this process as unemotional as possible. We have, every time we have met with a group of people, from our first meeting in October, to our second in November, to our third and fourth in December, to our fifth in January, we have said every time, don't tell us what you want to give tonight, because we don't want anyone to give based on emotion. Go home and pray about it. Ask Jesus what he wants you to do. This is not an emotional decision. We've not told any sad stories. Like if you don't give, there could be a baby born that in nine months could be dedicated at our church, but now will grow up and become, you know, like we haven't, we haven't tried to pull any heartstrings or manipulate people. We've said, here's what we need. Now go home and ask Jesus what he wants you to do. Because we believe spiritual giving is a, is a Jesus thing. And we want you, as you think about how you can impact this process, to go talk with Jesus and figure out what Jesus has to say, because Jesus is aware of people and their offerings. Secondly, pretty radical thought here, Jesus must view giving differently than we do, because he says something that's not true. So if he says something that's not true, either, either he's wrong or our perspective of what he said is wrong. And because I don't think Jesus was ever wrong, I, I'm, I'm going to say we must have a different view of giving than Jesus does. Because look what he said in verse 43. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. That's not true. I mean, literally, in a tangible way, that cannot be true. When you go look at the Greek words that, that Mark used to describe what she put in, she basically put in enough money 
two, two coins that would equal a penny in Roman language, but a penny was one sixty-fourth of a denarius, which was what normally someone would get for working one day. So like she put in one sixty-fourth of a day's wages. She'd have to work three, her, whatever her occupation was, she would have to do it for three months in order to earn what the normal person earned. And Jesus said a bunch of rich people put in a bunch of large amounts. So when we look at this widow, it's interesting the giving options that this widow had. This widow with two small coins. You know, you look at her and she, she could have given nothing. Maybe that would have been the smart thing to do for where she was in life. Says so she put on all she had to live, in, live on for that day. As I studied scholars, I said normally somebody that made this amount of money would, would be somebody who was like the lowest, 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 lowest level of helper, of a helper, of a helper, of a house cleaner or a barn cleaner or something. And this type of person would earn a little bit of a wage every day. So it wasn't like she sold her estate and it came to one sixty-fourth of a denarius and she gave it away. But basically she was saying when she gave anything, because she could have given nothing, she was saying... I'm going to give this today, and tomorrow I'm going to trust God to take care of me. So there was this thought that because she gave anything at all, there had to be this future trust that that God was going to provide something. So this was an option to give nothing. It would have also been an option to give half, because she had two. So she could have given nothing. She could have given half, kept one for herself. One one to God. It's like, God, you know, God, I want to be a part of this, but I still need to take care of me, so... We'll keep one for me, I'm going to give one to you. Or she could have given all. And she gave, according to Jesus, all she had to live on. And it wasn't that much money in value. But it was huge money in sacrifice. Which shows us that clearly Jesus views the power of giving as much in our sacrifice as in our amount. Which speaks back to the heart of people in our church who say, I really want to be a part of helping, but I don't feel like I can do that much, and I don't feel like it's going to matter that much. You need to understand, according to the heart of Jesus, every amount matters. Every amount is important. The truth of this building project for our church as we move forward is this. If everybody who God has spoken to will give as generously and as sacrificially as they can, God will help us see the miracle of our spiritual family building a building for our church and for our community. But if God has spoken to your heart, you can only give what you can give, and you need to understand if God has spoken to your heart, what you can give is enough, it's the right amount, and it's the amount needed for us to reach the end of this project. And I'll be really honest with you. I don't know that I fully believed what I just told you until this week. Believed it mentally. I mean, I, I really, in my, in my head, I got it. This week, in my heart, I got it. Because we've had, we've had some unbelievably large amounts given, several six-figure gifts given to help us get to where we are right now as a church. Huge generosity from people. But this week, I saw sacrifice. What a young college student who came to our church last week that I haven't seen in about a year, known her since she was pretty young. And as she was leaving last week, I said, hey, how are things going? And she said, I'll send you an email. And she sent me an email Sunday night. 
and basically said, uh, you asked how things were going. Didn't think I could really tell you standing at the door. Um, so they're not going well. And she went on to say, basically, two days before the semester started at school this year, I was raped at a party. And as a consequence of trying to work my way through that, I decided to try to take my life one night. Ended up in the hospital, in and out of the hospital for almost a month. Uh, so it's been hard. But, but I'm, I'm doing okay. And then a few hours later, I get a text from her that I kind of almost ignored because I, I was traveling and I didn't see it. But it was kind of a text saying, hey, do you want to buy cookies? thought it might have been from one of our Girl Scouts because I had like 10 hit me last week. And I thought, you know, I bought all the cookies I, I could buy. And then I found out what had happened as I began to dialogue with this gal. She said, you know, I've been angry at God. I've been angry at church. I haven't wanted to really be a part of anything going on. But man, something about coming to Journey just makes me feel like there's hope. Like the people in the church, it just makes me feel like there's hope. So I sat and I listened to your building deal last week. And I had $20. And I thought I should give this $20 to the building. And she said, then I got an idea. She said, I could give $20 or I could spend $20 and try to make more. So she said, I left church and I sent out a text message to all my family and friends and said, I sat in church today and here's what I heard. And I'm going to buy a bunch of cookie ingredients and you can order any type of cookie you want from me and I'll make them for you. And all the money I collect will go back into the church to help them build a building. And she sent me a text, I think on Wednesday night. And she said, I have raised $300 now to give towards the building. And I just started crying. And you know, the emotion of this level of sacrifice, it really trumped the spiritual emotion that I have felt when the biggest of most generous people have said, here's what I'm going to do. And it was like I said, Lord, I get like, I now understand what you're saying. The sacrifice is as important as the generosity. You know, if our soul bruised as easily as our skin, most of us would never leave our house. Because we wouldn't want people to see how bruised and how beat up we were spiritually. But because our soul, the bruises on our soul, aren't visible a lot of times, we're able to kind of float in and out of places and try to figure out where we can grab hold of hope. And you know, as I thought about this gal and I asked her permission to share a story and she said, absolutely. I thought, man, one day we're going to build a building and people whose souls are black and blue are going to wander in and they're going to sit in the back row looking for anything to grab hold of hope with. And our church is going to give them that. And, and that's why sacrifice and generosity are important. Because if I stood up here last week and said, I need y'all, I need everyone to give $300, you'd all be like, that's like over a year, like, that's no big deal. But it's a huge deal to some. And that $300 gift might be the most sacrificial, generous, creative gift that our church gets. And if everyone would have that heart, man, what our church could do for our community would be unbelievable. So you say, Christian, what, what can I do to help? Here's what we're asking our church as we lean into this season in our church. We're asking our church, if God has spoken to your heart, to give a special gift in addition to your normal giving to help us build a building. 
If God has not spoken to your heart, don't. And don't worry about it. We're not going to be upset at you. We're not going to call you. We're not going to pester you. We're not going to try to guilt you. If it's not your season, it's not your season. No big deal. But if God has spoken to you, help us. We're going to ask you to give generously and give sacrificially. And we're going to ask you to pray about what you can give between now and August of 2016. Because that's how long it will take to build a building and the need to pay down what we're trying to pay down. We're going to ask you after you decide this number to bring the first part of that gift and a pledge on Commitment Sunday, which is Sunday, March 1. If you would reach